continuing in our series on the life of David, the shepherd king. And um, when I was, I think I was 18, 18 years old. In fact, it was my birthday. And uh, my birthday is always in December. And uh, that hasn't changed. Um, and so still uh, is in December. Um, but anyway, uh, I had a birthday and, and, and it was, we had church on a Sunday night. We, I was at Sunday night church and, and there was a surprise birthday party being held uh, for me that I knew about. I may be deaf, I may not be, you know, hearing things. I may be the last thing to hear, you know, one of the last person to hear things, but I, it eventually catches up, okay? And so I hear through the rumor mill that there was a birthday party, and one of my good friends after the service, his job was to, to stall. You know, slow me down from being home, let everyone get home to my house first, and, and so after church, he said, you know, it was kind of icy out, out in the parking lot. We had, we had some snow. And he said, hey, Scott, um, can you show me, can you teach me how to do a donut with the car? You know what I'm talking about. You know, you spin it, you know, how you spin it. I said, man, I love doing that, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he got in the car. And, uh, and I went up to the, to the blacktop. We had a big old parking lot and a blacktop and just started spinning. Just having a good time spinning. We're just having a, you know, and he, uh, teaching him the mechanic on how to do that with your car. And, and so after about 10 minutes or so, he said, hey, let's, um, you know, let's, I, I'm, I'm, mom, your mom and dad invited me over for some cake and ice cream and let, let's go to your house, you know. And I, I'm thinking, okay, I know, I know all about it, buddy. But you know, go ahead. I didn't say it out loud. You know, I'm, you know, I'm gonna pretend to be shocked and surprised. So we're driving home, and he's behind me. And I, by the way, I I was driving a 1982 Ford Mustang. Now, don't don't be like all impressed because the, the 1982 Mustang was a bad year. Okay, it was a bad year for the cars. A bad year for Mustang. And so. So I'm driving home in my 1982 Ford Mustang and my friend's behind me and I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I got in the neighborhood, pulled into the neighborhood on the side street and I thought, you know, I'm gonna show him how to fishtail. I'm gonna control my fishtail. And, uh, and I started fishtailing and my car got out of control. And before you know it, I hit a fire hydrant. It messed up the side of my car. Needless to say, I got home, I'm shaking. And I totally forgot my birthday. I totally forgot that I'm walking into a surprise party. And I walk in and everyone's a surprise. And I thought, oh man. I said, hey dad, <laughs> you know, where you at dad? And I bring my dad over and begin to tell him what happened. Now thankfully it was my birthday and it was my party. <laughs> so he wasn't as mad as he could have been. Well, that was not a tough, that was not an easy conversation to have with my dad. It was a tough conversation to be able to tell him what happened to the car. They're talking about tough conversation. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about life, life toughest conversation. I want you to stop and think about it. What's the most difficult conversation you've ever had? Think about that most difficult conversation you've ever had. Maybe we're telling your favorite ball that you were going to take another job at, the number, at their number one, at his number one competitor. Maybe that wasn't an easy conversation to have. Or, or perhaps, maybe you heard from your spouse. Maybe your spouse tells you that she or he doesn't love you no more and wants a divorce. 
that's a tough conversation. Maybe your toughest conversation was practicing tough love with your teenager, and you had to take some privileges away from, from them. Or maybe you were confronting your best friend about their immoral lifestyle. So confrontation is difficult, right? Because most of us don't like to make other people feel uncomfortable. And so we try to avoid confrontation. Confrontation is some of the toughest, toughest conversation we can have when we confront somebody. We try to avoid it. So what do we do? How do we, what do we do to avoid confrontation? Well, we delay it. We, we, we put it off, right? Or, or, or sometimes we, we just hope that maybe it just goes away on its own. Or maybe you say, no, if I just pray away, and maybe it was just, I won't have to do anything. You know, I just pray it away. Or maybe sometimes we convince ourselves, you know what, maybe I'm not the one to do the confrontation. You know, maybe, maybe instead of me confronting my kids, I let my wife do it, you know, or, or, or I let somebody else do the confrontation. I, I'll pass the buck. I let somebody else do the confrontation. But there comes a time when love must confront because love cannot stand by while a fellow believer sin and destroys himself and destroys others around him. So love confronts. And today we're going to talk about confrontation. We're going to look at a man named Nathan, the prophet, and how he confronted the most powerful person in the land. He had to confront King David, who was having an immoral relationship with another man's wife. Now you talk about, you talk about a difficult conversation. Now if you were here last week, we look at the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 11. And we found David bored. Normally David's off the, war, off the battle, and if there was a battle to be fought, we could almost guarantee that David would be fighting in that battle. But for some reason, in the beginning of chapter 11, the Bible said that David was bored. He stayed home. He was not where he was supposed to be. One of the things I said last week is that when you get bored, you begin to linger and go to places where you should not go. You begin to look in places where you should never go. And David is not where he's supposed to be. He's to be off at battle, but he's not. He's sleeping. He wakes up and the Bible says that one day, David walks out on the balcony and he looks out over the city, and he sees a beautiful woman taking a bath. He finds out her name, and her name is Bathsheba. He invites her to the palace. He finds out that she's married. In fact, she's married to one of his mighty men that's in battle, Uriah. 
He finds out about Uriah. He finds out she's married. But because King David, he feels entitled. He feels entitled. He's the king. He can have whatever he wants. His ego gets the best of him. And so he invites her to the palace. He sleeps with her. A little bit later, Bathsheba sends word to David. In fact, there's only two words that we hear Bathsheba says in the whole scripture. She doesn't talk except for these two words. She says in chapter 11, tell David I'm pregnant. She sends word that I'm pregnant. So now David's trying to figure this out. What am I going to do? And so the rest of the chapter 11, David begins a series of cover-ups, trying to hide the corruption. He's trying to, he trying to spin, you know, trying to spin the story. You know, he got to keep his PR. You know, he, he, he hires a PR marketing company. So, so hey, I need to fit this. I got to look good because I, my approval rating has been at 100%. I got to keep it that way. And so they begin all the cover-ups. What eventually led to him having Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. And so after he died, after Uriah dies, King David invites Bathsheba to be his wife. And he thought, man, it's all good. They have a child. The child is born. And all this is going on, and David is thinking, I made it. But the end of chapter 11, I want you to look at this. The Bible says that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. In other words, you can, you can run you can make it look all good, but at the end of the day, God still knows. And so, David and Bathsheba they had their child, and God sent Nathan to see David. Which I believe, like I've always said, that this is Nathan's toughest conversation. I want you to read with me in chapter 12. I look at verse number one. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb. It grew up with his children. He ate from the man's own plate, drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock of herds, he took the man, the poor man's only lamb. He killed it, he prepared it for his guests. The Bible said that David was absolutely furious. He said that surely as the Lord lives, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. 
he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And Nathan said to David, you are that man. Nathan confronted David with some hard words to the most powerful man in the world. I'm sure Nathan was probably shaking a little bit because it's like, you know, I could probably tell him the truth here and at the same time lose my head because David already went so far to cover things up. But what's interesting is to see how David responded. And if we look down at verse number 13, the Bible said that David confessed to Nathan. And this is what he says. I have sinned against the Lord. I've sinned. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for the sin. Nevertheless, because you have shown utter contempt for the Lord by doing this, your child will die. Talk about confrontation. Talk about a tough conversation. If we're going to be effective in confrontation, I, I, I believe there's several things that we can learn from this story. In fact, I want to answer two questions today. Two questions. How to effectively confront somebody. That's the first thing I want to look at. And then the second question is like how, what should we pray or how should we pray that that person that we confront receives it? How do we know that the confrontation takes well? So two things we're going to look at. Let's look, look at the first question. How do you confront effectively? I'm going to give us some thoughts here. Number one, you must speak the truth in love. You've got to speak the truth in love. You know, Nathan didn't deal with rumors. Nathan wasn't dealing with hearsay. He was dealing with the truth of what he knew. And he knew what was wrong, and he dealt with it. He spoke the truth. By the way, we live in a world today where everybody gets to speak your truth. You heard that phrase. You have to speak your truth. But at the end of a day, God's truth always trumps your truth. God's word. The Apostle Paul, he talks about speaking the truth in love. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he said, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He says, if you want to be more like Jesus, if you want to be more like Christ, you've got to be willing to speak the truth in love. You know, in churches today, there are one of two extremes when it comes to this. I've seen some churches on this extreme where they're all about truth but hardly any love. Very judgmental, very harsh, which leads to legalism. Legalism is, you know, the standard. If I keep up with the standard, if I keep doing 
you know, the rules and keeping up with the rules, then God will approve me more and more. The more rules I keep, the better I am in standing with God, the better I'm in with him. That's legalism. That's an extreme. On the opposite end, there are churches that teach very little about truth, but are all about love. It's all about love. Hey, hey we love everybody. What leads to liberalism? Liberalism, we compromise. And say, like, hey, we just love everybody. We, we, just want everybody. we just want everybody to be happy. Everybody to be happy. That's why it's so important that we find a balance in both. That we don't find ourselves on one extreme or the other. You know that Jesus, the Bible says in John chapter 1, they were describing who Jesus was, that he was the begotten of the Father, full of glory, full of Bible said, full of grace and truth. Well, grace, loving kindness. He was full of loving kindness. And at the same time, he was full of truth. Talk about a balance. And Jesus struck the balance perfectly. Listen, I'm not saying that none of us are going to be uh, perfect because none of us are Jesus and no church is going to be perfect, but we should strive for a balance of grace and truth and speak the truth and love. Nathan, arrived to confront David and he was willing to speak. He was willing to confront David with truth and love. Here's the second thought when we think about confrontation. You have to have the right timing. The right timing matters. I, I believe that God's timing in sending Nathan to David is absolutely incredible. Notice, notice when it happened. Notice, when, notice the timeline when Nathan went to see David. He didn't go. God didn't send Nathan right after the act of adultery. He, he didn't send Nathan. God didn't send Nathan right after Bathsheba was pregnant. He, he, even didn't, he didn't even send Nathan after the husband had been murdered. He didn't send Nathan after the wedding. He even didn't send Nathan after the child was born. Some scholars believe that there was a 12 month at least, 12 month waiting period before God sent Nathan to see David. You see, God waited just the right time. And I believe that. God, God was waiting. God allowed the pain of sin to soak in before he stepped in. By the way, many times if we're not careful, we can confront at the wrong time, and sometimes we confront when, we're, when our emotions is out of, it, it, way too involved. We, we, we confront when we're too angry. And, 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 and timing is everything. Sometimes, it, you know, we've got to take some time, got to step back and, 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 and cool your heads. You know, you have to do that. Confrontation needs to happen, but it needs to happen at the right, right time. I used to talk to uh, couples that right before they get married, premarital couples, and do some premarital counseling. And I, one of the things I would say is you've got to pick the right time for the difficult conversation, for confrontation. You've got to pick the right time. 
You know, we'll talk about what that looks like, you know. You know, the, the right time is not right before you go to church. You know, that's, you know, that's not the right time. You know, the right time is not right before, not right before bed. Because why? Because you're, you're, you're tired. You know, emotionally you're spent. And, and, and so that's not the right time for a confrontation. I remember my wife and I, you know, we were newlyweds. And, um, you know, we, we uh, had a nice discussion <laughs> right before bed. A Christian talk, a pastor talk for having an argument. <laughs> now, the crazy thing is, I don't even remember what we argued about. But we had an argument, and we went to bed mad. You know what happened when you go to bed mad? You wake up mad. <laughs> we woke up mad. I was mad. She was still mad. You know, we went to work mad. You know, and I, she, uh, listen, I'm working at a church, and she's working at a church daycare, all in the same spot. We're, we're going to church mad, okay? I mean, we're, we're just, you know, not, it's not good. And it's about mid-morning, and I'm sitting, I'm not getting anything done. I'm like, and, and at this point, you know, you ever get, you, you don't even know why you're mad. You don't even know what you're upset about. It's more your ego, you know, your selfish desires. And I'm in the mid-morning, I'm like, man, I can't, I can't, I can't stand this anymore. I got up from my desk. I walk all the way back to the church daycare and I pulled Karen out. I said, hey, I'm so sorry. And you know, we cried in the hallways and, and, and moved on. I said, why was that so difficult to do, you know, before we went to bed last night? It was awful. You know, the timing matters. Timing matters. I, I see that a lot with kids in the sports, parents in the sports, you know, they, they, they little Johnny or little Becky, and you know they they dropped the ball, you know, and didn't score the winning touchdown. Or or they see the five-year-old little kid out there, and all of a sudden he's excited because he just scored a goal. The problem was they scored a goal in the wrong net, right? And so they're excited, and you as a parent, oh, I can't believe he did that. And I've seen this before. I've seen for parent. Right after the game, Porter's son, Porter's daughter, said, I can't believe you lost the game. I can't believe you messed up. I can't believe you scored that. I can't believe you scored the wrong goal. And the whole time, the little kid is like, man, I just want a sucker. Where do I get my sucker? You know? Bad timing. Bad timing. And if we're not careful, we can do more damage than good. So pray for God's wisdom. Know the time, the right time. To confront. Here's the third thought. When I think about confrontation, you need to use the right words. The right words. You know, Nathan didn't rush up to David and said, David, you reprobate. David, you, you're a sinner. I'm so ashamed of you. I'm, you need to pull yourself together. He didn't do that. He, he came in. He planned his approach. He thought, of, he thought in advance what he was going to say. Listen, this is so important. Before you head into the confrontation, think ahead in advance your words and your thoughts. If you're coming to that confrontation and you're planning on shooting from the hips, nothing good comes out of it. Think about what you're going to say. Think about 
your woes. Nathan, he told a beautiful story about a man with a bunch of sheep and another poor man who had one lamb. And it drew in, it immediately drew in Nathan, uh, David's attention. And, 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 and David simply stuck his head through the noose into that story. And Nathan, all you had to simply do was just pull the noose with the four woes. You are that man. David, you've sinned. You've acted the same way, just like that rich man did. Nathan knew how to use the right words. Number four, so important, got to have the right tone. The right tone. Tone matters. Another way of saying tone is tact. Having the right tact. A definition of tact is, um, you see that on your handout, see on the screen. The tact is the ability to make your point without making an enemy. Be able to have a conversation, a tough conversation, to make your point without making an enemy. Galatians chapter six, verse one, notice that, check out the tact, the, the, the town strategy here. He said, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently you can underline it, underline that word, gently and humbly, underline humbly. You should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. See, town matters. Having the right tact. As we look around the country today, I believe we have all kinds of people using the wrong town. You, you see it in all different levels. I see it in the political level. I see it in the media level. I see it in the church level. And listen, you may be saying some of the right things, but nobody's listening. Know why? Because you're hollering at each other. Nothing gentle about it. There's nothing humble about it. Wrong tone. You can make a strong point with the right tone and accomplish so much more than being angry and brash and ugly about it. Tone matters. Number five, as you confront, you gotta possess courage. Courage. Where did Nathan get the courage to confront? Where did he get it? To confront the most powerful man in the world, I believe, Nathan's courage is the result of knowing that he was on a mission sent by Almighty God. Listen to me, this is so important. You have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose if you know that you're doing what God wants you to do. You have nothing to lose when you're doing what God wants you to do. Don't fear the loss of a friendship. Don't fear the loss of an employee. After all, it's the truth. And if it's the truth, only the truth can really get your friend free. They may not like it, but it's true, and they need it. You know, that's why when we see in the scripture, one of the main purposes of confrontation is not to push somebody aside, 
It's not to shame them. That's not the purpose of confrontation. The purpose of confrontation is, is to bring them back into repentance. It's to restore them back into the family. That's why we confront. That's why we do it. And so, how to confront? Some ideas there. And Nathan, the prophet, we see all those things in his confrontation. Here's the second question. How will you know if your confrontation accomplishes purpose? What, what, to, what, do, what are we praying for that the person that we're confronting, what were you praying that would happen? Here's some thoughts. We pray that there would be an omission of sin. When we confront somebody in the right tone, in the right words, in the right time, when you speak the truth in love, you do it with courage, we pray that they will receive it well. They may not like it, but they receive it, and that there is an omission of sin. David, in verse number 13, he said to Nathan, he said, I have sinned against God. I have sinned against the Lord. A woman was in a diet club. And she was telling the group that she gained some weight from the previous week and she was feeling bad about it. And they said, well, what happened? She said, well, one night I cooked my family their favorite cake. And at the end of the dinner, they only ate half the cake. And we kind of wrap it up and then the next day I'm home alone. Everybody's gone at work and school and I, I was doing fine until I saw that cake, the other half. And I thought, you know what, I should take one bite. I took a bite of the cake. And before you know it, I took another bite. And another bite. And before, before you know it, it's all gone. I ate the whole other half of that cake. And now I'm feeling bad. I'm feeling shameful, embarrassed. I got to tell my husband, you know, he got to think less of me. You know, I've lacked the the willpower. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm feeling just terrible. And everybody said, well, what did your husband say when you got home? What did he say to you? And the woman smiled and said, oh, he doesn't know. You see, I baked me another cake. (laughs) I cut half of it and threw it away. Talk about admitting your sin. No, <laughs> you got to admit your sin. You got to admit it, right? Number two, that's the second thing we, we, we pray that will happen, that there will be a desire to break from sin. Proverbs 28, verse 13, people who conceal or hide their sins will not prosper. In other words, if you're trying to live a double life, you know, if, you're, if you think nobody's watching and nobody knows, listen, God knows. He sees everything. And if you want to live that way, if you want to live your double life, in the end, the Bible says you won't prosper. You're you're not going to thrive. You'll never get ahead. So people who conceal their sins, the Bible says, will not prosper. But if they confess, choking the word confess, and then turn, choking the word turn, if they confess and turn from them, the Bible said that they will receive Mercy. Now, what does it mean to confess and to turn? It means to renounce, renounce your sins, to turn away, to repent 
of your sin, to go in the opposite direction, to remove yourself, to remove yourself from the situation, to, you'll be willing to do whatever it takes to make a change. That's what it means to, to confess and to turn. To turn. Let, let me give you some ideas on it. Let's say you're at work and, and you're having an affair with somebody from the opposite sex. And so how do you confess and turn? You know you're doing wrong. You want to confess. You want to turn. How do you turn from it? You stop communicating with the other person. You stop texting. You stop emailing. You, you, you don't talk to that person. Don't phone call. You don't walk together with that person in the office. And, and if it's too close to home, you ask your boss. You say, hey, listen, I need a transfer to a different department. Or, or I, I may just need to find me a new job. And so Scott, I, I can't afford that. Well, let me ask you this. Can you afford a divorce? You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. You go as far as you can to make the change. We have to turn and walk away. How about overcoming an, an addiction? You know, if you want to overcome an addiction, you've got, you've got to, you can't just, hey, you know, I'm going to stop. No, you've got to do some things. There's some things in your life that you need to be willing to do to meet with a godly counselor and let that godly counselor speak truth in your life and get an accountability partner and let that person walk with you through life. There's got to be a desire to break from sin. Number three, as we confront somebody, we'll pray that there will be a broken and a humble spirit. David, he wrote in his journal, I call it the book of Psalms, that's his journal. And Psalm 51, by the way, Psalm 51 is a direct psalm to the sin with the Bathsheba after he'd been called out by Nathan. That's what Psalm 51 is. It's a confession to God. And you can see David's brokenness here. Verse number 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David, he said, I'm broken. I'm broken. You want to get forgiveness? You got to start with the brokenness. The brokenness like, man, God, I'm, I'm, I've blown it. And that can be a path where we can go to God and seek forgiveness. Number four, we pray that there will be a willingness to be restored. Again, Psalm 51, verse 12, David said, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In other words, God, give me back what I had before. Give me back what I had before, before the sin happened in my life. And he said, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You know, I've got good news for y'all this morning. And the good news is this, that all sins are forgivable. All sins. Let's look at David's life. God was willing to forgive him of his adultery, and of his murder. All sins are forgiven. I hear from, from time to time, I hear people all the time say, God, listen, I get that God forgives sin, but you don't understand what I've done. It is not possible for God to forgive me. He can forgive everybody else, but God can't forgive me because I know what I've done. And listen, when you hear that, that's the devil talking. See, the blood of Jesus covers all sin. 
So all sins are forgivable. However, some sins carry greater consequences or they linger longer than others. I believe that David went to the grave hating the day that he fell in sin with Bathsheba. But deep down inside, David knew that God had forgiven him. He knew that God had extended his grace. And that's why he was restored. He became known as a man after God's own heart. Now, let's just be honest. Not all confrontation like Nathan and David, you can end up like David. Sometimes you confront somebody and they, it will not be received well. And there might be a loss of friendship. There may not be repentance or change. That's why we need God's wisdom because confrontation is just a difficult, difficult job. You have to do it though. You gotta speak the truth and love. I believe we're living in a time of great compromise with the word of God. We need to remember that word of God, God's word never changes. God is holy, God is righteous. He still honors truth, even when it's difficult to declare it. He still honors it. So don't be afraid to speak the truth in love because what people need to hear more than ever before. Remember the tough loves, tough love pays off. It pays off. And if you really care about somebody, you will care enough to confront. Bible says in James chapter 5, verse 20, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. Sometimes you say, you know what? It's his problem, not my problem. It's his business, not my business. But if you call that person a friend and you don't confront, you don't confront in the right way, you don't have the courage to do it, you become less of a friend to that person. Because you could be saving them from a life of trouble if you just ignore it and walk away. So sometimes, got a man up, got a woman up. And if God is saying, hey, speak it. Speak the truth in love because you will do more help for that person than to stay silent. And then there'll come a day where you'll look back and regret, say, man, I wish I had the courage to say something because now that person it's in a dark place, maybe prison, may even be dead. And I could have had a hand in helping that person change and have a course correction in his life. So confront, it pays off. Here's the takeaway as we close out the morning. You probably already filled in the blank, but who do you need to confront? Who who you need to confront. I want you to hang with me here for just a minute before you think about somebody else. I want you to think about yourself. Think about you. The first person that we need to think about is you. We need to confront ourselves. The Bible says to be careful that you take the plank or the beam out of someone else's eye before you take yours out first. Psalm 139, the Bible says, that, you know, where David said, God, search my heart. Search my heart, examine me. If there's something going on in my life, show me, reveal it to me. I want to confront my issues first. And so we need to stop and think about our own life. If there's something in our own life that we need to deal with, 
Maybe we've been rationalizing our sin. We've been in denial of our sins. Maybe, maybe, you know, you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ one way in public, but a different way in private. We need to deal with our sins. We need to confront ourselves. And then, maybe there's somebody this week that you do need to confront. I pray that you will have the courage. I pray you have the courage to say the right words at the right timing in the right way, with the right tone. And that you will do what God wants you to do, to confront that person and to speak the truth in love. Yeah, it's a tough conversation. But we confront, why? Because we care. We care. Speak the truth in love. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for, we thank you this week we thank you this weekend that we're here today to, to talk about a tough topic, a tough conversation about confrontation. God, first of all, I pray that we will look into our own lives, examine our hearts. But thank God, I pray that we will do what you want us to do when it comes to dealing with the confrontation of a friend, a neighbor, a family member, a co-worker. God, I pray that we will confront in the right way where we can speak the truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen.